All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 229 of the DFO Rundown, brought to you by Botano. 19 plus, please play responsibly. The game starts now at Botano.ca. I am Jason Greger, alongside Frank Saravalli. We are within a week of the NHL draft, which of course is next Wednesday. You have the player awards on Monday. Uh, Some I think are obvious. Others are going to be uh, intriguing. There's uh, lots of uh, trade rumblings going on. You had uh, the Hall of Fame inductees yesterday, Frank. So there's lots to discuss. Uh, Where do you want to start? Let's start with the Calgary Flames because outside of the Winnipeg Jets and maybe the Philadelphia Flyers, I don't know if there's a more intriguing team than Calgary and how different they might look next year in a year in which they didn't really plan to look all that different. So what are you hearing? So the latest involves three players who are kind of at the core of what Calgary does. And perhaps the easiest way to break it down as to where I believe things stand as of we're taping at 10.15 on Thursday, June 22nd, we'll start with Noah Hannafin. And he's already been on our trade targets board. And I think the cleanest way to say it is that he has informed the Calgary Flames that he does not have interest in re-signing there long-term. Probably not a shock, given the rumblings that we've heard, but he has you know, the, given the most clear answer to the Flames to this point. It's not that he hates it in Calgary or anything like that, and so if he, was, you know, if he had to come back next season to finish out his deal, it's not like that's a game-breaker you know, or deal-breaker and he's requested a trade or anything like that. It's been pretty amicable, but has politely said he doesn't have interest in re-signing there long-term, doesn't see that as his long-term home. Next, and perhaps more importantly, is Elias Lindholm. And my understanding of where the situation is, is that the Flames made a big pitch recently, earlier this week, to re-sign and bring Elias Lindholm back. They rolled out the red carpet. They've made their financial sort of play, essentially making him, you know, in that upper echelon of, of players centers in the league. 
And they've let him know how much they value him and how much they want to have him back. However, he has not given them an indication as to what he's thinking, has not given them an answer, and hasn't said no, but the indication and and speculation that's grown around the league with other teams, and part of that, Jason, may just be that teams are, are really want to get their hands on a player of his caliber, but the speculation around the league has been that he is leaning towards not re-signing. Hmm. Not great news if you're a Flames fan. So then let's get to Michael Backlund, who I think this is actually the most surprising of the three, given his tenure in Calgary and how long he's been there. Michael Backlund, I'm told, is also leaning toward not re-signing with the Flames. Again, just a current day. This is where he's at. Could change the Flames. Another guy the Flames want to have back, view him as part of their core. But right at this exact moment in the here and now, they, they're going to try and convince him. But right in the here and now, he's also leaning towards not coming back. So that's three pretty critical pieces to your team that they wanted to have all of them back. The goal for Craig Connery was to re-sign all of these guys. And now he ha- he doesn't have a firm answer from Lindholm. And he's sort of up against a clock that he created when he said at his introductory press conference that he he wants to manage the Flames' assets better and doesn't want to really go into next season with those players unsigned. So these are some uncomfortable moments in Calgary. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. I understand that. Uh, if you know guys aren't, aren't coming back for sure. Now, Backlund, to me, I would rank uh, third on that list. Uh, just sure. He's going to be 35 next year when his new contract kicks in. I just think it's a different state for them. So. Um, you know, losing him would suck. I get that, but I don't think it would be as as disappointing to to lose him just based on you know if you're thinking long term in Calgary. The other two, of course, are guys you think are going to be contributors for a significant period of time. I actually think the Hannafin loss is pretty close to even to Lindholm. Just when I look at their defense makeup in Calgary, and I'm very curious, Frank, on what what a, a return would be in in how. What you could get for a guy like Hannafin's good. Obviously, you're not getting a Matthew Kachuk return or anything like that. But it'll be it'll be interesting to see how Craig Conroy handles this because he's a first time GM, and mm-hmm. uh, you know the other GMs would love to help him. And I use that in parentheses <laughs> when it comes yeah. to a trade, right? So they want to throw the old GMs about this, and they all laugh and say, "Man, I remember my first time in, and you know, veteran GMs, and you know, oh, they're really nice, and then they just they secretly want to cut your throat." So. It'll be a tough negotiation for him, even in a trade. Yeah, and, and, but here's the thing. like There is also opportunity in that. The hard part of what the Flames are trying to do is they want to be competitive next year and they want to take a run at the playoffs. And they have Huberto and Uyghur and Kadri and they're hoping Markstrom bounces back. And it's going to be a really tight rope to walk of trying to get players in exchange for Lindholm and um, Hannafin that you can plug right into your lineup right now that are going to be impact pieces. That's the hard part. And the tightrope you're walking is also keeping an eye on the future for an organization that hasn't had very many draft picks and especially high draft picks in the last number of years. So there's a lot to tackle at once. It's sort of like drinking from a fire hose. If you're Craig Conroy, just getting your feet wet over the last you know, three, four weeks, and then sort of being thrown right into the fire, baptism by fire. Um, I think my bigger question when it comes to the Calgary Flames, Jason, is when you look at the rest of their roster and you look at Tanev and Zadarov and uh, to a lesser extent, Shillington, and guys that are also to Foley, guys that also have one year left on their deal, how do they react to the news potentially of these three guys leaving? And does that give them any pause and also make any of them raise their hand and say, I want a chance to win somewhere else? I'm also like, is there a domino effect? Is there a trickle down effect that comes from those three guys potentially going somewhere else? 
Oh, hundred percent. I, I think, you know, and you know, you look at simply the one wild card in this in the Hannafin is the return of Shillington right now. He's not Hannafin per se, but he, he's pretty, I thought Shillington was a guy who was really coming on and it's unfortunate that he missed all of last season. So there's Top a little bit of all day uncertainty. So you have a guy that you, you can trade Hannafin and not, you don't have an exact replica internal replacement, but you have a pretty good one who wasn't there last year. And that's, I think the one saving grace for Conroy in this, at least when it comes to moving the defense, the problem with the center ice position, Frank is I, I think there's really a shortage of legit first and second line centers in the league. And if, if you trade Lindholm, you have to get a center back, but then we can go around the league and look and say, okay, which teams are you even going to get a decent level, even playing field type of player? It's no hard chance. To do. It's almost impossible. And let yeah. alone to get someone younger, those teams are hanging on to those guys every day of the week, right? Um I, I think you made a good point on Shillington, but there's also, I think, for the Flames, the fear of the unknown. Of course. He didn't play last year. That's a long time off. But more to the point, he actually has to get on the plane and come over here to do it. And because of the hurdles that he had in his personal life last year, he wasn't able to do that. And so until he kind of, you know, it's great that he's training and he says he wants to come back and he plans to come back. But until he actually goes ahead and does it, it's almost not something the Flames can even rely on at this exact time, who, by the way, also is one year away from unrestricted free agency. Yeah. Yeah, they got it. I think next summer, Frank, with the cap going up as much as it's projected to go up, and I think there's lots of players, even in this year's crop of players, Frank, I think we're going to see quite a few guys who are going to sign one-year deals just because they want to be in a position to uh, cash in on the increased salary cap, unless they can get the raise that they feel is fair right now. And, and then there's lots of players that are probably going to wait because if you were a free agent one year away, let's say the projected cap is a $5 million increase. But what if it turns out to be seven or eight? It's definitely in the seven to eight range. Yeah. So I can see why some agents and their players will say, we want to come back, but we don't want to re-sign until we know what the cap actually is going to be. And you don't, of course, find that out until next year. So So, I I think we could see more players who are potential free agents throughout next season. And a lot of them maybe sign late, you know, because what we're going to find out the salary cap probably Monday or Tuesday next week. I think it's going to be 83 and a half million. At least that's, there's been nothing official told to the teams. I checked in with a bunch yesterday. They, they don't know any more than you or I do, but they're, they're thinking it's going to be 83 and a half. Yeah. Most of the GMs that I've talked to Frank, that's their plan, which makes sense because the last thing you want to do is budget for it to be, if it comes in higher, you're just like, Oh, we have a little bit extra cash, but uh, you're always better to budget lower. And uh, if, um, if there is extra space, well, good, but you've budgeted for this number and then you can at least maybe stay firm on the numbers you have in mind on certain players. So then maybe actually, even though this goes against what Craig Conroy said at his initial press conference, maybe instead of trying to wedge in a trade yes. this this summer that you might not love, give your bring these guys back give them give your team a chance to make the playoffs see if any of their opinions change playing under a new coach Daryl Sutter's gone the vibe should be different a new arena is supposedly on the way that these guys are maybe obviously you take the bag if you can get it but maybe someone like Lindholm is even more valuable next summer on the market to resign then instead of now very, or and then the trade what you deadline. do is if you're the Flames, you're then forcing essentially you're putting the pressure back on the player to go out and have a monster contract year. Hundred percent, right? Everybody knows the uh, the last year of the deal impacts your next contract more than anything else. And you know, your Calgary, you're in a playoff run, great, but maybe the Flames aren't as good as they hope to be. Then you've got some pieces that you can move at the deadline. And some teams that are very close are looking and say, man, we think Lindholm pushes us over the top. We'll push in all our chips. So I don't think as much as Craig Conroy doesn't want to do it, I don't think he has to 
have all of them. Ideally, he probably would move one of them maybe between now and and the, and the draft, which is normally the you know the high trade time. But I don't think he has to. Even though he said it, when you say one thing on one day, that doesn't mean you have to just come hell or high water stick to it. I think you need to have the flexibility to say, you know what, this isn't ideal, but it's less ideal if we make a bad trade. So let's just keep our uh, our hands in the mix. We'll have our conversations. And as you said, Frank, things can change, right? All of a sudden, I would think right now the players are like, oh, they have such a bad taste in their mouth from last season yes. for a variety of reasons. And they wonder if they can be competitive and they wonder yeah. what it's going to be, how much is actually going to change with Ryan Huska being different than Daryl Sutter. He's on the bench with him for the last number of years. I also Very think different personality, though, I will say. Oh, Very different. 100%. But I, I think... The, uh, the inverse is also true in that maybe not re-signing those guys is the best thing. Like, as much as you want to get them all locked up, what happens if they were to start next season, or let's say they go through next season and they get to the trade deadline, and the Flames are the same as what they were last season? And you're saying, we got to change the, the core of this team. We got to change the DNA of this team. But then you just locked yourself in and signed all these guys to long-term deals. Like maybe the best situation for the Flames is to kind of wait and see. It's uncomfortable and you have to be ready and willing to accept whatever comes on the other side of it. But it also allows you the most flexibility possible. And yeah, is the I, trade I think value for Elias Lindholm today really any different than it would be in March at the trade deadline? Maybe a little, a little, but not bit. a ton. Yeah, not a ton. You're probably right. And if you're not really trying to get future assets anyway, if you weren't planning on getting them at this draft for that player anyway, what's the difference? Well, I do think there's a better chance for you t- to get you know, some NHL players in return in a trade in the summer than you would at the deadline. Yes. So if if that if they feel they don't want to rebuild and don't want futures, then the trade makes more sense now. But, but maybe they get to that point in March and they say, we want futures now because yes. we don't like the core of our team. And now the view of what we want in return is different because we're going to have to enter a, a retool or whatever it might be. You're never going to really rebuild and bottom out with those Huberto, Uyghur, and Kadri contracts. But you could you you might have to be forced into the idea of a retool and they might have to be already yeah makes a lot of sense uh, the interesting thing is when you look at potential trade partners for some of those teams and um you know the the one when you look at a team that needs centers frank i think the the if now boston would know better on bergeron or Krejci, but if those two aren't coming back i don't think there's a competitive team in the league that will desperately need centers more than the boston bruins you got the old double Lindholm on your team. Who knows, man? But it's it's something to consider, and uh, especially when it. I know Boston would like Bertuzzi. I I keep hearing. I think Bertuzzi might test the free agent market. I think there's uh, there's you know, and I think for players. I remember last year at this time. Here we are. It's what uh, June twenty second. You're eight days away from free agency. If you've gone this far, you almost owe it to yourself to just see what the other offers are. You can always yeah. re-sign with the team. I just think there's so much horse trading going on behind the scenes, not to accuse anyone of tampering, that I think everyone has a pretty damn good idea of what they're looking at right now. Oh, And even well, the teams. No doubt. I, like I, I could see why Bertuzzi would, would try free agency. I think he'd be an attractive player for a lot of different things. And, you know, and some of the guys, they look at lifestyle too, right? Like they, if you're going to have four or five competitive teams, then you can look at, Hey, what if you're an outdoors guy? Do you want to be here? Well, I like the weather and not everybody loves the, uh, you know, s- some people don't mind uh, winter weather. It all depends on who you are. So um, I think I'd be very surprised. I know I saw a report, Hey, the Bruins still want him, and I get why they want him, but I'd be surprised if he signs before the first. Huh. Uh, what about some other teams on the center market? So the natural ones, maybe, Carolina, Car- well, Carolina and a Lindholm reunion always kind of made sense. The problem is then paying him. Well, Frank, they have a grant after next season right now. 
They have Cockney Emmy and basically no one else signed Svechnikov. on that team. Yeah, Svechnikov, Svechnikov Cockney yeah. Emmy, and Kochekov. Two. That's, That's it. it. Like yeah. two forwards. So they're that is. It's going to be fascinating to watch what Carolina does with the players that they resign and retain. And I still think that Carolina is a team that's uh, looking to make a splash. I think they're going to look to rejig a little bit of their roster. I love it. I love that they aren't afraid to say goodbye to people. You can't be. They, I think they've got the best culture going. Everyone likes playing there and no one on the way out. Everyone knows going in eyes wide open what's happening. You play great. And you're reasonable in your in your demands. You at least what they find reasonable. You're coming back, and if not, they're just going to move on. And it's they shake your hand and they tell you they love you, and that's it. Yeah, I'll say. What about this about- um? I wanted to ask you about the Minnesota Wild. Like, I don't expect them to be a major player, but like, let's say you are Bill Guerin and you have a scant amount of cap space. You're on the prowl for a number one center, and someone like a Lindholm becomes available. Yeah. Are you moving hell or high water? Are you moving pieces off your team to make it happen? Or are you saying this guy at his age and the eight-year commitment or whatever would be attached to it is too much? Well, the interesting thing about the Wild is Matt Zuccarello, who's – contracts up at the end of this season, right? That's 6 million bucks that frees up in cap space. So if you slide in and even if it's a raise and then you slide in the increase uh, of this, the this cap, next season, it's up. Yeah. That's what I mean. At the end of this yeah, season. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, like he's done. He, so next summer, so Lindholm's contract, you have one year left, right? So you know that his raise is coming for the 24, 25 season when Zuccarello comes off the books um, you know, Marcus Felino at 3.1 would, would come off the books. Um, Goligoski would come off the books. Mark Andre Fleury. So you you definitely are in a position if you want. And those are some older players, right? That, you could so probably you can, move some of them now. Like you, if you really needed to, you could find a taker for Mark Andre Fleury. You could find a taker for Jacob Middleton. Remember, they still need to pay Philip Gustafson. They still need to fill out a bunch of roster spots on their team with only nine million in space. So you'd have to trade someone. All yeah, I think they'd is, rather trade Goligoski than Middleton, though. Yeah, for sure. Goligoski, I think, is he's a two million dollar cap hit, right? To two point four, so older right. Middleton. I like Middleton as a defender. Very unique in what he brings. So. Agreed. Um, but my question is like, does Lindholm get you excited? He does for me, but I don't know how everyone. Well, you know, you got Kaprizov, you got Boldy, like you've got two really good shooting wingers and yeah, you get a, you get a playmaking center. Now Lindholm's unique because he did score 41. So he does have no slouch in scoring himself, but I don't think, I still think of him more as like a, a 30 goal guy, which is nothing wrong with. Right. Um, but Boldy and Kaprizov would be more of your finishers. And you put a playmaker in there. Yeah, the, that that would intrigue me. And Bill Guerin has proven to us since he took over as GM. He is not afraid to make the big decision. We saw it with the buyouts and they've got two years remaining of, of cap hell with the uh, the dead cap space. And then they free up significant amount of money. So the cap goes up significantly. And even next year when it goes up, that'll give them some room so you could do it. But Two years from now, Frank, that's when you could call the summer of Bill. And I think even leading up to it, I think he will be rather aggressive. I mean, I think about Columbus and their need for a top flight center. We've talked about that. They're not moving the number three overall pick in order to make that happen. Nor should Um, they. I wonder a sneaky team could be the Washington Capitals. Like Elias Lindholm quite literally is like, a better version of Nicholas Backstrom at his peak. You think Lindholm is better than Backstrom at his peak? I do. Really? I think they're damn close. Yeah. Backstrom was so good, man. He was, I know he's a different style, but he, he was really good, but he's never actually hit the point thresholds and goal thresholds that Lindholm has. And it's not like you can turn around to Lindholm and say, well, he's not as good defensively as Backstrom is. 
Yeah, well, keep in mind that Lindholm, when he scored his points, it was a one-year thing, and it was also offense has gone up. But yeah, like Backstrom to me is pretty solid player. That's that's actually a really good debate. Um, definitely a better goal scorer in Lindholm. I have have no question about that. Um, No, I mean Nicholas Backstrom has never finished runner-up for the Selkie. His highest vote was seventh, and. Nicholas Backstrom's highest career point total. He did hit 101. I'm sorry. In 2009, 10. Yeah. But for the most part, his career average is. uh, 82 times 0.94. He is a 77 point scorer. Definitely nothing to sneeze at. But his career high in goals is also twenty is thirty three. So I know, I don't, a better finisher for sure. I, I think there's a I think it's a great debate. But like my point being, Backstrom can't do it anymore. The Caps have openly said it. Brian McClellan is like this guy needs to figure it out. His hip resurfacing surgery took so much out of him. He can't move anymore. What are we gonna do? If you're trying to remain competitive, like Lindholm, hello, like this guy could be your your new Nick Backstrom. Yeah, but I, I'll say this: Backstrom ten times is a seventy, a sixty plus point guy. Lindholm's only done at three, so that yeah. to me is the, the one little uh, little caveat that's a difference. So true, um, true, true. Definitely more of a consistency factor from Backstrom. Yeah, and and really, when you when you look at at Lindholm, like he had the forty two goals once, but he's never hit thirty any other time. Like I really think that's kind of an outlier for him, um, where you know Backstrom only hit thirty once as well. He was a lot of times in the twenties. So now that I look at more, I'm not sold that he's that drastic of a better goal scorer. He had the one better year go scoring goals, but uh, but overall, I don't. Uh, uh, and he never had a hundred points, right? So yeah. I'd still take Backstrom in his peak. So let's put a bow on this part of the conversation and say from the teams that I've talked to around the league that are super interested and want to know a lot about Elias Lindholm as much as they can get their hands on, they've called the Calgary Flames. And the answer to this point has been not available. We're trying to re-sign him. And they've basically sort of, uh, hey, write my number down. Uh, Call me if you change your mind. Yeah, and that so, makes sense, right? Like I, smart move by Conroy. Yeah, but I think the team, the number of teams interested is is vast, and I think they can get a really good return. And I'm just curious how quickly they decide to turn that around and do it, if they mm. if that's the answer they get, and how yeah, long like, can they wait? How long until no answer or an I'm not sure become is 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 more or less a no? It's fair. I like. I think Lindholm's an elite number two, be a low end number one. So that's kind of where I see him as. Uh, I think low end number one is fair, but I still think he's a number one. And I think he's in the same exact category and class as Dylan Larkin and Bo Horvat and others, as we've talked about. Yeah, those are fair comparisons. Yeah. Uh, The more I look at it, guys are hard to get. Hard to get. I still put him below Backstrom. Backstrom to me is like, is good. I think the, Baxter, the player, when his career is over, Frank will get some consideration for a I Hall of Fame. I was just going to say, Hall of Fame, yes or no? He'll get some consideration. Like, um, you know, the Hall of Fame's tough from year to year. I, what a uh, segue in. into the class of 2023. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hey, congratulations for the, the members that go in. Um, you know, you have Henrik Lundqvist. I think we all thought that one was, was pretty obvious. It's definitely the year of the goalies, three goalies uh, going in at one time, which is, uh, well, never happened before, right? Um, so that's uh, that's that's good. Is there any um, anyone for you who um, like surprise is the wrong word? Because when you look at like originally, I was like, okay, Pierre Turgeon, but then I went and I did a deep dive and I look at all of his numbers, and I'm just like, you know, geez, he, he did have a he's, pretty good career. He's and close. what's interesting about him though was how short of stays he had in all the sit, like all the teams he was on. Now he produced very good. You start in Buffalo, then you go to New York Islanders, then you go to Montreal, then you go to St. Louis. Now Dallas near the end in Colorado, obviously his production, like most players dipped, but I was surprised that a, he didn't last anywhere very long, which is a, which is kind of surprising to me, but you know, Barrasso, Vernon, uh, Turgeon go in, of course, uh, Carolyn Ouellette, 
And then you have uh, Ken Hitchcock. I thought Ken Hitchcock was a, was a no-brainer. And uh, Pierre Lacroix, also who uh, passed away in 2020, uh, gets in. So congratulations, first of all, to all of them. Uh, I've still, I don't like to rip on guys who go in because Turgeon, I can see a case. I'm just still surprised why McGilney's not in. And I think, Frank, right now, that the fact that even the running, goalie part, I'm not, yeah. don't really understand it. The three so, goalies. Okay. So let's back up and let's talk about Turgeon. And I thought, first off, I ha- have to give a shout out to Paul Paduti at Adjusted Hockey on Twitter. If you're not following him, you must. The guy is, is first off brilliant. And second, um, the work that he does with the Hall of Fame, putting every player on a level ice surface for the first time ever is so valuable and allows us to actually engage in this type of debate because everyone's on a level playing surface across all of the different eras between the high scoring 80s, the dead puck era and the salary cap era. Yeah. He summed it up so perfectly with Pierre Turgeon. A slow burn. Never a top five forward, but quietly a top 20 forward for 12 straight years. That He was never dominant, but that's really impressive. So they went with Turgeon on a sort of compiler basis, if that makes any sense. Yep. And that's fine. There's a place in the Hall of Fame for those guys that weren't quite dominant, that really had great careers. The goaltending part, inducting three goalies, is clearly righting a lot of wrongs. Because Paul was the first to point out in a story on dailyfaceoff.com earlier this year that since 1967, the Hall had only inducted 13 total goalies. He said in that same span, there had been more goals in the NHL scored by goalies, 16, (laughs) than goalies inducted, which is absolutely insane. And part of that, I think, Jason, is because of the way that goalies were absolutely shredded in the 80s. Like, the Hall of Fame didn't really know how to handle those guys and and who was good and who wasn't. Because then you look at their stats on paper, and you're like, man, these guys stink compared to the guys in the 90s. And the 90s guys got a huge bump because of the dead puck era, And now we finally, again, can engage in a really smart debate about what all this means. So Lundqvist, the given. But the fact that Vernon and Barrasso end up going in before Curtis Joseph, whose numbers are head and shoulders above those guys, that's the part that surprises me. And maybe this was the first step forward to the Hall beginning to right some of those wrongs and say, you know what, these guys should be getting in eventually because they've waited longer than Cujo. We're going to go with them first. Or maybe it came down to team success. Both of them won multiple Stanley Cups. For me, though, like I look at Cujo and I say a career save percentage of 905 over a long career. That's that's a really good number that stacks up in history when adjusted for everything. Mike Vernon's actually below league average for the entire era that he played. Yeah. Now the the thing that I I wonder about Joseph and is because how it works for any of our listeners who don't know, in any given year, the 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 voting members, they come in, they present their player. And that now my understanding is you're not telling the like Frank, if you and I are on the uh, on the committee. I don't tell you, well, I'm going to submit Curtis Joseph this year. That's going to be my person I'm nominating. Right. That's we don't actually, know. no, no, we do know that. That's they do uh, know. So they, they talk in they advance. They actually get a, they don't talk in advance, but you can, people and players can be nominated. Uh, first off, by the general public, they can be nominated by, you can actually send a formal submission to the Hall of Fame. No guarantee that they actually include it in the process. Okay. But anyone in hockey can send a nomination and then people on the board, the actual selection committee, the 18 member committee themselves, before they meet in Toronto on uh, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, or Tuesday and Wednesday, I think it was this year, it's usually Monday, Tuesday, before they meet in Toronto, they actually get a packet 
It says all the 18? Here, he, no, that tells okay. the 18 people, here are the people that have yeah. been nominated and here's who we're going to debate this year. And just because you were on it last year doesn't mean that you're necessarily on it this year. You had to be put forward yeah, again by those 18 people. Someone needs to pick up your case essentially yeah, and say, that's my I'm point. nominating this person. So, but you and I could both nominate the person without knowing is all I'm saying. So there might not be 18 people every year. Correct. That's you what don't I'm, have that, to nominate anyone. You might no. just participate, but you might also be someone that nominates six people. You don't No, I don't, I don't think you get to nominate just one person. Well, that's because I know like I'm on the orders um, one for their hall and you get one person that you nominate, right? And you don't know what the other people are nominating. So when we show up on that day, if three of us have the same person, then obviously that's, you know, probably who you're going to vote for is your number one. But there isn't, uh, and I will double check with you, Hatchick, but I'm, I'm almost certain that some years you might, you show up, Frank, you're nominating Curtis Joseph. I show up, I'm like, you know what? I'm nominating Curtis Joseph too, but I don't know that you are. So when we get there, now the maximum could only be 17 players nominated because you and I have the same guy. Well, there's, the fact that there were seven people elected tells you that there's way more than that nominated. No, not necessarily. Right. You could have 18 nominated. I, I, either way, we're, we're debating what doesn't matter. It really, because the point is there is a formal nomination process and they go through it and wherever they end up is where they end up. No, but my point is there's a chance, as you said, Curtis Joseph might not have been on, wasn't brought forth this year, right? You have to bring, because there was years where Kevin Lowe was never brought forth and then he got brought forth and then he got in. Right, but I guess my point is, that's, I, I get the formality of it, but that's not actually the way that it should work because what they should do in reality is if if they were considering Mike Vernon and considering um, Tom Barrasso, then someone at that meeting should have piped up and said, and maybe they did, and maybe Curtis Joseph was nominated. Someone should have said, those guys are two potentially worthy candidates, but this guy's, this guy's stats and numbers are actually way better. I wonder if Stanley Cup's factor in. Right? I, th- I think that's to. the key differentiator, and that in total hardware. I mean... Look, um, those guys, uh, so Barrasso won the Vezina, Vernon didn't. But everyone says Curtis Joseph doesn't have the hardware. And I go, he, he finished as a finalist, I think, four times. Look at all the guys that he lost to. They're all in the hall. He played with some of the best goalies of all time. Hashik, Wah. Belfort, all those guys are, and now Barrasso, he finished runner up to Barrasso one year behind him and voting one year. Now he's in, like it further supports his case of being in that really exclusive group for a long period of time. And his numbers are better. So I don't want to get lost in the details, but point being, I think the process is interesting. And Alex McGillney, you talked about him. I think it's kind of beyond time that he goes in. I think there's great cases all the way around, really interesting ones that people need to take a step back and consider, whether it's John LeClaire or whoever it might be, that you need to give a longer, detailed look at. I think McGillney, because of what's going on in Russia right now, it's easy to exclude him. Uh, And I just think it's important to remember, this is a guy who defected from Russia many years ago so he could come and play hockey. Uh, You know... (laughs) It's almost like guilt by association for him right now. And so that's part of me why I was thinking. But I do think eventually Elmo and Cujo uh, will be going in, Frank. It's just probably a matter of when. But I know the goaltending union was uh, celebrating for sure. Yeah. And also uh, congratulations to Hitchcock and Lacroix and uh, and Carolyn Ouellette, uh, all deserving Lacroix. Like Hitchcock's a no-brainer. I think Lacroix had a really good career, of course. And Carolyn Ouellette, um, Paul had her as as, as one of the uh, – alongside Jen Botterill – uh, those were two she thought uh, either one could go in. So they're in. Congratulations to them. And they'll have their big uh, ceremony coming up in November. Speaking of ceremonies, let's bring in uh, Tyler Uremchuk for his uh, weekly <laughs> ceremony on the pod. Ty, how you doing? 
Yeah, I like that. I like that. It's a ceremonious buy or sell this week. I got a handful lined up for you guys. So let's jump right into it. Starting with this, Patrick Alvine says he wants to move up at the NHL draft. Jason, you buying or selling Alvine moving up and the Canucks getting a higher pick at the draft? Well, I'm buying that he wants to. I'm selling that he will. It, like lots of guys want to move up. And then, but the problem is when you look at, at the history of trades moving up, um, is it worth it? Unless you really, really like a guy, it just, you know, there doesn't seem to be like the NFL has, if you move up three spots, it's basically this, right? Mm-hmm. So the NHL doesn't have that, which I don't mind by the way, because then it's, Hey, if you can fleece another GM and you can move up and he, and he drops back fine. But like, if he does move up, I think we're talking one or two spots, guys. I don't see him jumping from 11 into the top four. Fair. Frank you said it perfectly. Wants to don't think he'll be able to, uh, just because I also think that almost universally around the league, teams view that top 10 or top 11, 12, 13, whatever their personal cutoff is, as being a big drop off in tier. And not just statistically, historically, but also with this class in particular, that I just, there's a reason why none of these top 10 picks have moved this year. And that's because the teams really value the players available there. And I, I just don't, I don't really see someone giving up one of those spots unless it's for a really special player on re- in return. And by the that's way, I'd love to see it though. Cause I love trades, but yeah. usually we always talk about, Oh, these guys are moving. And then we get to the draft and there's very little movement. Uh, I don't know how plugged in you guys are to the Instagram game around the NHL, but there's been a lot about Pierre-Luc Dubois. He's on a boat with Cole Caulfield. He's at the F1 race in Montreal. He's at a CF Montreal game with David Savard. And everyone just thinks, oh, he's trying to angle his way to get to Montreal. I'm going to say Pierre-Luc Dubois ends up anywhere but Montreal this offseason. Frank, you buying or selling that? Man, that's a good question because I want to buy, but I also think that they're interested the thing is, the Canadians are playing their hand really smart. They like this player. He wants to be with them. They want, you know, they want to be with him. Everyone understands it. But if everyone knows that and that's out in the ether, and you have one guy that's one year away from unrestricted free agency, essentially what they've told uh, the Jets, at least my understanding is, we like the player, but uh, we're, we'll just see him in a year. Why would we give up a whole haul for him when we could just get him a year from now? The question is, will someone else entice him? Will the Jets send him somewhere else that entices him to sign long-term before they can get their hands on him? And if that's the case, I guess as the Canadians just kind of, I don't want to say shrug and move on, but there's only so much you can do. And why would you, why would you go overboard trying to get a guy that already wants to come there? Mm. Now, isn't his off-season home Montreal? So the fact that yeah. he's hanging yeah, out in events in Montreal isn't a real stunner. But the drama, the drama's yeah. good. No, hey, I get it. Uh, and F1, man, having beaten the F1 uh, race last year in Montreal, I'll tell you, it's a hell of a spectacle. But uh, I will I will sell. I'll take the field all day long, just uh, playing the odds on that one. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. We'll see what Patano has posted up for that one. Uh, third one I got for you guys, I'm going to say Blake Wheeler is traded and not bought out. Jason, buying or selling? that's such a fascinating one like his cap hit is so high what is 8.25 um god i don't yeah i'm gonna say he's i don't know man like what do we got here well we still got a week left for buyouts so Mm -hmm. um get off the fence yeah i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna sell i'm gonna sell i think he's gonna get bought out oh wow okay i'm gonna buy i think he gets traded Look, at $4.125 million, Blake Wheeler has real value and teams know that their Jets are considering it. So it's not like the Jets have any leverage to say, hey, we'll eat half, but you have to give us something. They're like, no, then buy him out, sucker. And he still had 55 points in 72 games last year. And the year before that had 60 in 65. Like, at 4.125 for a big power forward, as much of a pain in the ass as he may be, there are enough teams out there that would sign Blake Wheeler to a one-year $4.125 million deal that that's what I think is going to end up happening. It might also be just the cleaner move for the Jets anyway. 
clean up the cap issue in one year as opposed to spreading it out over two. Cost yeah. them less money too, it, right? Yeah, yes. it all depends what the return is, right? Because it's if you if you give up wheel and get something, it's four point one. But if you buy them out, it's you have a two point seven five cap hit for two years. So it's four point one. And you'd for have one to year. pay him more actual money in the end to go away by yeah. via buyout. That's true. All right. There we go, guys. A quick hit on the Canucks, on Blake Wheeler and Pierre-Luc Dubois. A three-hitter for this week's edition of Buy or Sell. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Man, the Jets and the Flames and the Canucks are all interesting teams. The Flyers. Uh, The draft, the Flyers. We didn't Uh, really talk about the Flyers and how aggressive they're going to be like Danny Briere is an absolute wild man making calls. You think Konechny's dealt? I th- I I do. I think he, I think of all the players on the trade targets board, he has the most value of anyone. Well, man, he's coming off like a career year, right? Basically, His value is never going to be higher. I agree with you, and so. I could see why you do it right now, but if you're a team, you is there a little concern that? Like now, maybe he become maybe he is an eighty point guy. We've seen lots of guys they get into their mid to late twenties now, and boom, they pop a little bit. So is that him? Is that what he's doing, or was it just a a great year? And and he, now, if he's only I say only if he's just a consistent twenty five goal scorer, twenty four goal scorer, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But if he's a point a game player, well, that's a different conversation. Yeah, I was going to say the numbers would suggest that last year, had he been healthy for the whole year, he would have been an eighty point scorer. Exactly. And would have been just a touch around 40 goals. Yeah. Plus the edge that he brings, plus the value on his contract, two more years at five and a half million. Like it's, and his age, he's never going to have more value to the Philadelphia Flyers than right now. And more to the point, given that they're embarking on a long rebuild, like he doesn't, he's not really of any use to them. So, like, let's say you get to where you want to get to and, He's 31. Well, that means you would have also need to have paid him on another contract by now for years that your team isn't trying to win anyway. He's almost like he's just getting in the way to then be what? 31 when you have the team that you want. And what does his game look like then? I know. It's and fair, what have but... you paid him in the meantime? Like people have said to me, why would they trade Connect Me? You need to wrap your head around it if you're a Flyers fan that they are rebuilding and that most of these guys will go. I think the bigger question is, can they pull a rabbit out of their hat and move off of Travis Sanheim's contract before his no, full no trade kicks in on July 1st? It's the exact contract that Damon Severson signed, eight years, 50 million bucks. Hmm. Sanheim better or worse than Severson? Ooh, I, I might like Sanheim better. I think I'd, I, I like him 
just for some of the other elements that he has. Now, the thing about Konechny, Frank, now he has two years. Remember what uh, Ottawa gave up to get to Brinkat at the draft last year? Do you think a similar deal could happen for the Flyers on draft day? Because you can just, argue that it's might you, you might be able to get more because DeBrincat you knew at the time of the trade you should you be able line. to get more and that pick was number seven overall. Seven. That's yes. why it's such a great question. But I don't. I just so who in that top ten is going to do it? That's the question, right? I just don't. I don't know that I see one that's going to do it. I really don't. And the Flyers are already picking at seven. Yeah, but because if you're in a rebuild, getting two picks would be uh, would be ideal, oh, right? They would absolutely bend over backwards to get in the top ten. Do you think the St. Louis Blues at ten would do it? I think they might. Yeah, but I, Detroit, I'm, I'm like, told that the Flyers have been engaged with the Blues among other teams on Scott Lawton. Doug you know, Armstrong other- had Scott Lawton at the Worlds and really liked him. And I know that the Blues put on the table one of their late first-round picks, 25 or 29, and I'm told also offered a second-round pick for Lawton. So I, I was told a first and a second. I think it's a and future wa- year's second. Frank, the one team I look in the top 10 – because similar to where Ottawa was last summer, Ottawa felt like we got to take a step here. We got to get better. The Detroit Red Wings are right there. And like yep. they feel like they got to get better. Would they trade the number nine plus to get connecting? That to me is a trade that makes sense. So I could understand it. All right. Frankie, we will uh, talk Monday. We're going to have a special uh, GM guest on the pod on Monday leading up to the draft. So we look and- forward to that. You and I are going to be in Nashville. We will with be. Tyler. That's Soon right. Three amigos. Have a lot of fun. Frank's uh, planning to. Uh, what What are you getting in the rooms? What do you want? Your IV. I'm trying to. We'll, we'll see. Let's see how much trouble we get into on Sunday night before we All go right. about. Okay, we'll see anything. you. Uh, we'll see you in person on Monday. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on DailyFaceOff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.